The idea of this podcast is simple, discipleship. We want to bring the gospel message about how to interact with your coworkers, your culture, your friends, everyone around you in a biblical way, which is, in essence, discipleship. What did Jesus do when he came to this earth? He took the devil's stuff. The Bible actually teaches that the world is becoming increasingly covered with the knowledge of the glory of God. That should change everything in the mind of a Christian. Instead of thinking about all the ways society is failing, we should think about all the ways society must be, as Psalm 110 tells us, put underneath the feet of Jesus in victory. The Rebel Alliance Podcast. We would be honored if you would join us. Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. As always, you have P. Nate and Pooty and Garage Mahal. Have you ever noticed that we might be the only podcast who has like, like a name for our like kingdom castle that we have? Like Hercules had what was it, what was the name of He Man's castle? Mm. Castle Grayskull was it Castle Grayskull? Isn't that where Grayskull is? <laughs> is that the villain? <laughs> yeah, I can't he's the remember. villain. He's the sure. villain. Sure, but we have Superman a has thing. the Fortress of Solitude. Batman, Batman has Batcave. the Batcave. Yeah, yeah. No, the X Men have Xavier's Mansion. Yep, which is really just like a yuppie palace. Yep. But anyway, so point. we have Garage Mahal. We have Garage Mahal, and I'm pretty good about that. The the Rebel Heroes have Garage Mahal. We're we feeling great about it. How you doing today? I know I know we both talked about rip off. Off, I was going to say off camera, off, off air, off air about the fact that we both feel like exhausted and tired. Now you actually have a legit excuse considering you have a baby who decides to wake up before 4am every day. Yeah, it was just her birthday. So I, th- I think it was like the anticipation of her birthday. And so she, um, she just turned three. So I think it was like anticipation knowing her birthday was coming up and like the excitement for it and things like that. But yeah, basically there was like three weeks where she was getting up between four and 5am every morning. And, uh, and that's early, that's earlier than I get up. Yeah. I didn't even know there was a 5am. Yeah. So that's the thing. So, um, yeah, so I've been tired and, uh, it's just been a long week. And, uh, so we were both feeling kind of drained. Both of us said we didn't feel overly witty today. So if today's episode lacks a certain wit, then our apologies. (laughs) (laughs) Forgive us for being charmless. Yeah. Yeah, Which we get no, accused of anyway. So yeah, that's, that's true. Actually, that's true. <laughs> so we are uh, the Rebel Podcast. And if you are just now getting to know us, you can find more uh, about us at uh, rebelalliancemedia.com. Um, there you're going to find blog posts. You're going to find uh, various podcasts. There's a Rebel Podcast. That's us that drops on Wednesdays. Awakening Reformation Podcast dropped yesterday. That's Tuesday with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer. And their family actually does a Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids podcast. Uh, it's a specifically a podcast is teaching you about church fathers. Fathers and it's it's made for uh, kids and it, it incorporates the Van Brimmer's kids. That's awesome. So lots of stuff going on with Rebel Alliance Media. Check out the website. Make that kind of home base for uh, everything that's going on with the Rebels. We actually have a guest today, a returning guest. Is this our first time we've had a returning guest? Oh no, Jude was on a few times early on and then he abandoned us and yeah, he he, he quit us. He quit the Rebels. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> um, but uh, we have Jacob 
Rayome coming back on, uh, who's a pastor uh, just up the road, and uh, we had him on to talk about Bruxy Cavey, and uh, today we're, we have him back on. So we're excited about that, but there's a couple of Rebel News items that we really wanted to get to. Um, number one, for those of you who are in Southwest Ontario, you know that there was uh, Pride Week uh, not that long ago, just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, there was a billboard that was put up uh, basically about an hour from uh, Rebel Home Base here in Southwest Ontario in the Chatham-Kent region. And uh, this billboard that got put up basically was a, it's a private billboard. Guy owns it. He puts up artwork. And it was a big sign that says, God says no to homosexuality and abortion. And that's, that's all the sign said. And it was interesting. It was up for um, less than a week before um, he was ordered to take it down. And there's a couple things that uh, that were just interesting from this whole article. Um, so first of all, obviously the uh, the 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 regional uh, gay pride president um, she got uh, she got in on this, and it was just so I just want to read a little bit of this article. So first of all, Chatham Kent, like the actual uh, regional office, this is like a um, like a county office. They sent out a tweet that says, we have received numerous concerns from citizens regarding the language on a billboard located in our community. We acknowledge the sign may cast a negative light on the community. We're looking into this matter further. We wish to reiterate that we are an open and welcoming community to everyone. And then what's interesting is that, uh, so the sign itself is is owned by a guy named Ralph Baker. He's an 80-year-old um, uh, self-described evangelist um, who lives near Petrolia. And uh, so he, he bought the billboard space. He put up what he wanted to put up. And, um, and then, of course, it got taken down by, uh, by the authorities. And, you know, yeah, I, I think there was actually some sanctions put on him not having to approve anything that he puts up there now. But what was interesting is that he actually puts his own cell phone number on the sign as, as well. And he said he was getting uh, between 50 and 60 calls a day uh, and some people he said were in support and the vast majority were not in support. And they, he said they used some colorful language. Um, but this is the part of the article that I thought was really interesting. So listen to this. Uh, this is basically from a representative in the community. There are a lot of angry people wondering why this is showing up in the middle of nowhere. Dresden is the kind of community where everybody accepts everybody. That's how it's always been. Nowadays, everybody just needs to be accepted. Uh, they go on to say that Baker's uh, views do not uh, reflect that of the community. And then he uh, quote, this is the quote from um, this uh, um, LGBT uh, activist. Uh, I think the Bible is very clear that God loves all people and that every single one of us are made in his image. And that includes the LGBT population. And this is uh, the, the, so interestingly, the person who's associated with the gay pride chapter in that area attends the United Church. And that's who's quoted at the end there. So this is interesting for a bunch of reasons, because um, once again, this kind of goes into the whole idea, uh, umbrella of free speech, right? And it, it just it, it always interests me when th- blanket statements like this. Nowadays, everybody just needs to be accepted. Everybody must accept everybody. But I mean, we live in a culture where that's not true. Our, our own prime minister just the other day, when he was asked a very fair question about immigration, called the person asking the question about immigration a racist, <laughs> right? And and uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. We believe that racism is a sin, but um, should racists not be tolerated? 
right? Should should bigots not be tolerated? Should sexists not be tolerated? Um, it, it's just an interesting thing when the only people who aren't tolerated are the people who are saying that there is a limit to tolerance. <laughs> um, and so I just thought this was interesting. This is happening just in our backyard. So I thought I'd throw it out there and see what your thoughts were. Yeah, I think it's very interesting. It's funny. It's, it's easy to say everybody needs to be accepted until somebody says something that you can't accept. So what are the guidelines of what we're allowed to accept and what we're not allowed? And this is where this whole tolerance movement, I guess, breaks down. And it's not, we're not saying that white supremacists or anybody like that shouldn't, what they're saying is right, but they have the right to say it. And if we say we have to be able to accept, accept anybody, then we need to accept that people are going to say things we disagree with. And in this situation, we would agree with the, the billboard that was put up, but people who put up those signs have to have the right to be able to say that you can't say tolerance and you can't say we're, we're accepting everybody, but not let anybody have a differing opinion because if somebody has a different differing opinion and you disagree with it and you, and you censor them, then you're not accepting that them for, as I think you said it, no matter what or, or however, however it was phrased. I just find it very interesting that there's like the dual, the dual nature where it's like we can accept everybody as long as they're playing by the set guidelines of rules. Right. And I think, I think we're starting to see now the more often that the, these types of stories, we, we could basically pull up this kind of a, a story Yeah, for sure. every single week on rebel rebel news. There's just more and more people who are being censored for just disagreeing with the the basically the vocal minority right and i don't i don't mean that in a negative way to any of them but i mean there's a very vocal outcry about accepting one particular lifestyle whereas anybody who put up like if if we put up a, a billboard that just said marriage is man men and women we would get that would get censored down even though we're not saying anything that's decrying anything else we're just saying this is what we believe right and we're being censored for it i find it, it's a very steep and slippery slope that this country's going down and being led down by our by our prime minister where free speech is no longer free at all right and we've we've had multiple times where we can we, we can bring up examples it's just uh, just another example of how particularly Anybody who's standing against the LGBTQ movement is being censored yeah. and being shut down. And I, like, I, again, I don't know this guy's history. I don't know anything, but I, I would agree with what he put up on on the billboard. I don't know if a billboard's really the right w avenue to do what he's doing, but he did it. And I think I think we have to accept that people can say. If we can advertise one thing, he should be allowed to advertise his own thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the CBC News article for that story is actually called No to Homosexuality Billboard Attacks the Very Soul of Chatham Kent, <laughs> which I think is pretty hyperbolic and hilarious. But um, <laughs> the, the very kind, soul of Chatham yeah. Kent. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing I just kind of wanted to mention, and it kind of goes along uh, the same lines, is that uh, there was this... Uh, um, uh, basically, a, a, a crisis pregnancy center at Acadia University, which is in Nova Scotia here in, in Canada. And uh, it's it's the school of about 3,500 students in uh, Wolfville, uh, Nova Scotia. And uh, last year, there was a, um, a first-year student who was worried that she was pregnant. She went into this uh, this uh, pre pre uh, pre pregnancy pre center? <laughs> 
<laughs> crisis pregnancy center and she goes in there and uh and basically she kind of gets talked to and and she expresses her desire to maybe abort if if the test comes back positive and she was urged not to abort the baby and was given some literature about um the harmful effects of abortion and so what's interesting is that that um uh so we we were kind of following this story it didn't kind of make it into rebel news and then uh dave our, our faithful sound guy actually found an article um talking about how this anti-abortion group which kind of runs this little clinic actually got kicked off of the university and and the articles that you read about it basically said like they should have um they should have advertised that they were a pro-life pregnancy center um, because this girl went in thinking that she would get kind of coached or allowed to have an abortion and and so all of the articles again this is on cbc and a few other places picked it up where they're talking about that and it's easy for us as christians to be like okay yeah maybe maybe pro-life you know movements or or institutions should be more upfront about where they stand on these things but like in all honesty there's no such thing as neutrality so it's it's like when we talk about this all the time so it's not like any pregnancy center is going to be neutral on this planned parenthoods are not neutral they don't encourage you to to keep an unwanted child they encourage you to abort a child no matter what and uh, and that's what they exist for so so it's not and it's not like they're upfront about that either they actually claim neutrality so it, it's interesting because what where you're seeing now the rights infringed upon is that so the only people are, i'm asking the question the only people who can work at and run and uh, and volunteer at pregnancy centers need to be pro-choicers right because that's that's essentially the point if, if you won't push the pro-choice agenda then you're not really fit to be running a, a crisis pregnancy center so we again this is sort of um, allowing people with a particular ideology to do things that people with another ideology can't do. Um, and all of this, so you were talking a little bit about um, silencing a certain um, people, um, and that kind of feeds into the piece of rebel news that you wanted to talk about. So this is a, a bit less heavy, but I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, this is just something that just came out kind of recent. Um, it's a Nike campaign. So 30 years ago, By Nike, Nike. Do you mean Nike? Yeah, like Nike. Nike. <laughs> is Nike actually how it's pronounced? I think Nike is like the plural of Nike, isn't it? Like I got a pair of Nikes. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I've anyway, always said the Nike. swoosh. I've always said Nike. But anyway, the I'm sure you're right. I'm wrong. That's the way this works. But anyway, um, they 30 years ago they released their Just Do It campaign. So um, this month marks the 30th anniversary. So they have a new ad campaign. Yep. And so in that ad campaign, one of their people who they've supported for a few years is the quarterback named Colin Kaepernick, who yeah. we've talked about before. Uh, for anybody who is unfamiliar, I'll just quickly recap. This is the quarterback who played for San Francisco. Recap. Who, recap. <laughs> I see what I did there. Um, he kneeled, knelt down in support of the Black Lives Matter movement in terms of saying he can't, he can't stand for a country and a flag that, and for a national anthem for a country that treats black people any different than than white people and we're not going to get into into his his stance so he kneels for the national national anthem and he's gotten large criticism large support it's it's different so but where we want to go with this one is nike has actually just put him in their most recent ad and all it is is a picture a black and white photo of his face with this line believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything and it's just a picture of Colin Kaepernick's face, very solemn. And then he tweeted it out himself on September 3rd saying, believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything, hashtag just do it. 
So where I want to go with this is it's it's interesting that Nike is now taking a political yeah. a political stand for, first and foremost by producing this because okay you know what on the on the surface I I actually don't disagree with that statement I I agree with that you know what we need to, you you need to stand by your convictions well enough that you're willing to sacrifice everything but what I find very interesting about this whole thing is that. What would the media outcry about this be? What would the left agenda outcry of this be? Because right now, obviously, in, in America, this comes out, and you get the right, the righties saying that this is outrageous. He should, this should be taken down. Nike should be boycotted, and they're burning Nike. And then you have the left people saying this is a great campaign. This is wonderful. My question that I would, I would pose to you would, what would, what would this be if this was a picture of Jack Phillips? Who right. <laughs> Jack Phillips is the baker who refused yeah. to bake the, bake the cake, cake, and everybody seemed up in arms about that. But he was believing something, Nike, even if it means sacrificing everything. Right. Again, it's just a, it's just another point of where, when it's a, something that you can get behind, it's a movement that you're going to support because it's. Let's be honest, it's anti, it's anti Trump. Trump is one of the bigger critiques of Colin Kaepernick's yep. whole thing. You can support it. You're actually going to put money behind it and fund it, Nike or Nike or whoever you are. Um, whereas if it was say Jack Phillips who did the exact same thing, took a stand for something he believes in, and is now sacrificing everything for it. It's nowhere to be found. Why is he not in the in the right. ad campaign himself, right? And I just want to get your thoughts on what you think about this whole thing. Yeah, I think it, it, it's interesting. I mean, first of all, what is Colin Kaepernick sacrificed? I mean, he's he's a below average quarterback who in, in a in a league that um, fan loyalty and not rocking the boat actually mean a lot in the NFL. And so having a guy who's going to divide your locker room is, is actually really disastrous in football. And so why, like, has he really sacrificed anything? Did he have much of a career left? Like now that people know kind of his game and, and other teams can shut him, shut him down. Um, and, and has he really sacrificed anything when he's getting millions and millions of dollars from Nike, right? Like you were telling me that it appears Morgan was saying like, we might believe your message if you weren't whoring yourself out. And, and I think <laughs> to like par- to paraphrase, <laughs> yeah, to paraphrase. And, <laughs> yeah. But, and, and so like, it's just funny because that's not sacrifice, right? Getting paid millions and millions of dollars and being in the limelight is not sacrifice. So for, let me let me just be clear because we've actually had like friends of our podcast, uh, the the Layman's Cup. They've talked about Kaepernick, you know, ad nauseum, and they they've talked about this from every angle. And I'd encourage you if you want to engage this conversation further, go and talk to them about it, or go and, and listen to some of their posts about it. Um, but I would just say I'm totally okay with you kneeling during the flag. I'm actually okay with that. I, I'm I'm totally for whatever you want to do. But again, the rules have to be the same for everybody. So so if if Colin Kaepernick is is celebrated for his bold stance, then let's also um, you know reward Jack Phillips for his. If uh, if Colin Kaepernick is free to take a knee, then um, NFL team owners are also free to fire him or not hire him, right? Yeah, which is um, what happened, right? And and so that's and so that's my whole point is that. You can't you can't take a side and call everybody on your side a victim and everybody on the other side an oppressor, right? Free market means free market, meaning you're free to say what you want and use your platform to do what you want, but you're also free to experience the repercussions of that. I don't think he's actually sacrificed much for this because like I said, he's still making millions of dollars off the whole thing and I don't think he was that good to begin with. 
but at the at the end of the day the rules have to be the same for both sides and the fact that nike and the nfl and um, tv shows and hollywood actors are all taking political sides is is what's widening the chasm in uh north america anyway right so so the fact that nike is doing this it like good for them if if i and they will lose support over this And if they stick to their guns, then good for them. Like, at least they have convictions. I think they're the wrong convictions, but at least they have convictions. But my point is we got to establish the same rules on both sides. Yeah, I think that's what that kind of even ties in with what we were saying about the last um, piece of Rebel News is that if you're going to allow free speech, then you have to also uh, like allow everybody to have equal an equal platform. But it means you also have to allow for the consequences of those of those speeches. So Colin Kaepernick's upset and Nike clearly seems upset about the fact that Colin Kaepernick in his words has been blackballed from the league because of his of his stance okay but that's the owners of the NFL's right to do that yeah you took a stance and they can't actually punish you like they can't they can't sue you they can't put you in jail for what you're doing because you have free speech what they can do they've chose to do and that's not put somebody who they would deem as a cancer to their franchise in the locker room right and you know what? That's their choice. You can't criticize. You can't on one hand be arguing and suing like he is the NFL for blackballing him out of the league and still refusing to play by the rules of, right. of the league, which at that point be willing to sacrifice. If you're really willing to sacrifice, drop the lawsuit right. and say, you know what? Yeah, I gave go. up my, N- right. my NFL career to fight this cause. And I'm, it was worth giving up the, my right. NFL career, right. career to fight this cause. Whereas like, you know, you can't, be suing the NFL to let you back in and then still campaigning on the other hand, because holding both of those things don't, don't, they don't, they don't uh, work well together. It doesn't. Yeah. It's funny too, right. how uh, legislative power and like um, just the courts in general are being used as a, as a like blunt instrument to, to attack the other side um, by both sides in the U S right now. And it's interesting. So like if I could give an analogy for Colin Kaepernick suing the NFL to let him back in, that's like the kid who doesn't get picked to play road hockey and he goes home and comes back with his mom and his mom tells you to let him play, <laughs> right? Like that, like, it, yeah, and then, I mean, what's that game going to look like with him back in it after his mom scolded you for not letting him play, right? Like it's just, it, it's just an interesting, an interesting thing. And, and, and I mean, you know what? Nike is good at marketing. Like that's a good campaign, right? Be willing, you know, believe what you believe, even if you, I, I don't know the wording, uh, lose everything, but like, that's good. That's manly. That, that actually kind of like gets the hair on my, my neck to stand up. But the problem is Colin Kaepernick's not that guy. Jack Phillips, there's your guy, right? Like, like you want to look at some heroes, like let's, let's look at D- Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Like let, let's talk about, um, you know, uh, John Knox and you know let's talk about some of these guys who who quite literally lost everything for their convictions and and not because it was popular who died hated and scorned and uh, it's only generations later where we appreciate everything that they sacrificed yeah we don't we don't even if you want to take out Wilberforce like let's <laughs> like you know yeah anyway. even, even if you wanted to if Nike Nike's unlikely to ever put a picture of Diedrich Bonhoeffer and say and say <laughs> this but I mean like even if they wanted to take and make this campaign the thing. There are, there are real people who have sacrificed everything. And you don't even have to pick somebody super controversial like a Jack Phillips. Put a picture of a fireman in, the, in New York City. Right. Who 15 years ago, and still does this on a, probably a weekly or monthly basis, risks their life going into a building 
to, to sacrifice to save somebody else in a fire. A police officer who puts themselves on the line every single day responding to, the, to all these different things. Colin Kaepernick, who's worth $61 million, yeah. who refuses to stand for his flag and his national anthem, isn't the guy you should be marketing your campaign campaign events? Because what has he actually actually sacrificed? The chance to play a children's game professionally, <laughs> like that's going to get so much pushback from yeah, American I, I listeners. Just, but I'm yeah, a sports yeah, no. fan, and yeah, yeah. It's, no, I but you. I still recognize yeah. like this is this is ridiculous that we even pay these guys what they get paid totally and all that. So we can go yeah, into all that yeah. another time. But I mean, like that's not sacrifice. Yeah. The guys you named, yeah. that's sacrifice. Well, and I you think that's and I think that's the whole thing is like this is why. In all honesty, like it used to be when you think of like your attachment when you were a kid to like Ken Griffey Jr. or Wayne Gretzky or, you know, like those kinds of guys, there was like an emotional attachment. They were like, you know, kind of your heroes that you looked up to and all this kind of stuff. And But there was not the elitism that there is now. You know what I mean? Like they always made a whole lot more money than, than us and all that kind of stuff. But like your attachment to these guys was, was for how good they were in the game. And now you have these like Hollywood actors and you have Oprah and you have these people who are using their platform to push a political agenda or whatever. And, and, and what they're trying to do is so like Wayne Gretzky. I loved him because he was so good at the game and he made me love the game. Um, what I didn't love him for was him like trying to like relate to me. I, I, I can't relate to Wayne Gretzky. The guy's got his own wine named after him, right? Like, and he's got, he's got a street in Brantford named after him, for goodness sakes. Like, I can't relate to him. Like, these guys are the elite. These guys are the top 0.01% of the world, and they're trying to relate to us. Like, if your marketing campaign is meant to, like, get me excited about my convictions and willing to sacrifice everything, don't put a guy who's worth $60 million on the, on the front cover and say, like, you're like him. I'm not like him. I'm not like, you know, Johnny Depp or Oprah or any of these people who get up and grandstand and talk about, you know, how they're one of us. Like, no, get, get out of here. You, you lost that right when you made, you know, $100 million last year so i i just look at it and i just think it's 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 it's, it's kind of silly and i'm just i'm tired i'm tired of colin kaepernick just get out of the spotlight i don't want to see you i don't want to hear about you i don't want to hear your name anymore i don't want to hear anything yeah i would i would actually agree at this point my hashtag for colin kaepernick was just shut up like, seriously, we don't care seriously we're done with it yeah we're done with it all all right there you That's there we the are kaepernick. we're done we're done we're now boycotting kaepernick <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, okay, uh, we, we, we went way over on our time for Rebel News there, but there you go. We're going to come back with our guest, so stay tuned. Hey, it's Dave, the Rebel Alliance Media Tech Guy here to tell you more about the new, improved, expanded Rebel Alliance Media. It's new, it's improved, and yes, it's expanded. Check it out at rebelalliancemedia.com. There's the original Rebel podcast, as always, but now there's the Awakening Reformation podcast with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer, plus their new Faith of the Fathers podcast with their children. Great listening for families. Catch the Rebels each Friday for their weekly video on culture and get a refreshing review of eschatology with Pastor Nate's Eschatology 101 video series. Another new addition is the blogs and articles page with some excellent reads by the Van Brimmers along with Dan and Andrew Emery. You can now help Rebel Alliance Media financially through the donate button at the top of the homepage. 
It's a brand new website, so make it your home base for interacting with the Rebels. Don't forget to share it with your friends. That's rebelalliancemedia.com. Well, welcome back, and we are here uh, with a returning guest, uh, our friend, Pastor Jacob, uh, who's from Trinity Bible Church in, uh, it's not actually in Waterloo, it's in Breslau, correct? Yes, Breslau, just outside of Kitchener. So, Between uh, Kitchener and Guelph, really. So for everybody in southwestern Ontario, you know where that is, but everyone else, you just are assuming somewhere up north where the ice is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we brought Jacob back on um, because uh, several, I, I guess it's uh, a couple months ago now, we had Jacob on and we talked a little bit about the dangerous theology of Bruxy Cavey. Um, we talked about um, some of the blog posts that had gone back and forth and, uh, and actually a lot's transpired in that time. Uh, God kind of used that particular episode uh, to move some things. Uh, Bruxy's found himself in a little bit of hot water. Um, he, he actually responded to some of the points on the podcast in a sermon um, without kind of naming us. And so there's been a lot that's gone on back and forth. And one of the things that's gone on is that uh, uh, Paul Carter, who's a pastor with the Gospel Coalition, uh, has has engaged in some dialogue um, uh, uh, kind of uh, it's called seeking clarity with Bruxy Cavey where they're kind of asking some questions and getting some answers and kind of going back and forth so uh, Bruxy Cavey suddenly seems to be kind of uh, on the tip of everybody's tongue right now Jacob what is the uh, what has the response been on your end to the the last time we had you on well, there's been a lot uh, that's transpired. I mean, I was surprised at how much traction that we got with the last podcast. And then to watch all these other people start chirping in on this, uh, I think has been a very positive thing. I think the more this entire situation is analyzed, uh, the more truth is going to come out of it. And we're all about finding the truth in this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it it seems ahead. like to me that a lot of people were kind of thinking this, but didn't know how to say it, when to say it, what the platform for saying this stuff about the uncomfortableness that people have with Bruxy Cavey and the, the podcast, your, your guys' blog, blogs, your blogs and Eric's blogs really just have helped highlight this for a lot of people and given almost a voice for what people were thinking and, and feeling really. Would that, would that be fair to say, Jacob? I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's been probably about 10, 15 years of uh, pent up questions and um, at some points frustration over things that he has said. And then all of a sudden now there is uh, a voice and people are like, yes, that's exactly it. And I've certainly heard uh, from a lot of people who have, uh, who felt that. Um, Yeah. So, um, just in case, just to catch up some of our listeners who may have, have missed the last episode, um, we're, we're not just, you know, directing, uh, our entire time of this podcast, uh, kind of speaking against Bruxy Cavey, um, for no reason. Bruxy Cavey is, uh, by far the most influential pastor in Southwestern Ontario. His church is, is massive and his reach and online, um, kind of, uh, teaching is is really deep and wide here in Ontario and and really I mean nationally uh, and internationally but uh, 
Um, the reason kind of Bruxy KV kind of got into our crosshairs is because we, we started seeing some clips and we started hearing him on his podcast and his sermons uh, begin to doubt penal substitutionary atonement um, and begin to doubt and, and actually teach against the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture. Um, in his church, he's developed what he calls a third way, which is a way to include uh, gay Christians into church fellowship without holding them accountable for their sin. Uh, and so there, there are a few things for a, a guy with his reach and his influence. Uh, there, there started to be a couple of red flags that kind of started going up. And so um, we, we kind of talked a little bit about that and, and wanted to uh, engage with some of our listeners and, uh, and kind of raise some red flags for them as well so they would start listening with a little bit of discernment. Um, and, and then from, from there, interestingly, we actually, we did reach out to Bruxy, uh, or rather he to us. We talked about having him on the podcast and, uh, and he declined that option. So we're not kind of taking a second shot at Bruxy uh, without having uh, offered to have him come on and defend his own views. But he has seemed to be willing to engage with the Gospel Coalition. And that's one of the things that we kind of want to talk about. Um, <clears throat> before we kind of get into some of the specifics, uh, I just kind of want to make a big picture here or, or kind of make make a big idea, and, and that is um, to kind of piggyback on a blog post that you made a little while ago, Jacob, called uh, the Heretic Sensitive Movement. Um, I thought it was a fantastic blog post. You kind of, um, you talk a little bit about the seeker-sensitive movement that the, the 90s kind of brought in, and, and there was that whole Willow Creek Church model that uh, kind of swept through North American evangelicalism. Um, but you kind of took that seeker-sensitive movement label, and, and you coined this phrase, the heretic-sensitive movement. Do you want to just kind of sum up that blog post a little bit um, for our readers? Right. So my whole premise is that the seeker-sensitive movement was that you would win people to Christ by uh, somehow softening the message. And so it was a very pragmatic approach. And I think I said something to the effect of uh, you, you sacrifice the sufficiency of Scripture on the altar of pragmatism is in an attempt to evangelize the lost. And so that was that's essentially the seeker-sensitive movement. The sufficiency of Scripture is given lip service to. But uh, when we're attempting to evangelize the lost, we, we do not unleash the word of God um, one verse at, our, at a time or in an, in an undefiled way. We're very careful and we're very guarded. And always uh, there's a certain, I guess, happy, lighthearted tone to our engagement with lost people. Not that we shouldn't be happy, but I think what I'm saying is it's, it's almost a sugaring of it. Right. Now, I mean... <sighs> So here's the thing, and, and we, get, we get accused all the time over here at the Rebel Alliance, and I'm sure um, this isn't going to come across as foreign to you either, Jacob, um, of kind of being uh, maybe mean-spirited, uh, maybe being a little bit uh, brash or curt or unloving in the way that we engage with, with people. Um, and, uh, and all of this is kind of wrapped into this idea of the heretic sensitivity movement. Um, we, we seem to have shied away from the ability to call a wolf a wolf, a heretic a heretic, a false teacher a false teacher. And yet, and, and you say this in this blog post, so I'd just like to kind of give you the floor to talk about it a little bit. Um, both the New and the Old Testament are just completely filled with passages that um, command shepherds to guard against wolves, 
uh, for the church to uh, not uh, entertain, not to uh, become friendly with false prophets, right. but mm-hmm. to actually deal with them really harshly. So, so I think, yeah, talk yeah, about no, that a bit. No, I think you're absolutely right. So again, I'm, the point was is of the, of the thing is is we've taken the philosophy of the seeker-sensitive movement and we've applied it to dealing with the false prophet or the heretic, the wolf, whatever the snake, whatever you want to call them, and we've said. Okay, look, we're going to try and win the wolf, or maybe win his following by, again, I guess, putting some honey in it. Okay, right. and <laughs> it, the thing is, is you look at scripture. That's not what goes on in the Bible. We see again and again and again. First of all, there will be wolves. So let's let's just acknowledge the fact that there will be wolves. We are operating on the presupposition from the Word of God. Um, that there will actually be wolves among us and we are to be alert with them. And I think I think that is a massive deficiency right now within the church. It might be a reaction to maybe some overreaches of an emphasis on wolves in previous generations. I'm not sure, but it is definitely a deficiency that we're seeing here um, in southwestern Ontario. Absolutely. And so the, the concern is, is that you're trying is, is that you're dealing with the wolf in a way that scripture doesn't necessarily tell you to right and i think i think one of the reasons the temptate we're tempted to do this as pastors is because of the models that have been put in front of us so most of us are trained in seminary and the theological disagreement that we have become accustomed to or observed goes on in theological journals okay Hmm. so it's it's dealt with in a dispassionate academic setting between PhDs who write peer-reviewed journals, right. okay, and that's and that's how we deal with it, and that's that's been the model because we've been trained in that context, and there's a place for that, but we are not serving in seminaries; we're serving in the church, and we are shepherds of sheep, okay, and so you want to study how a shepherd shepherds his flock, which is the language that we're given. He doesn't write a peer-reviewed article to the wolf. <laughs> that's right. Okay. I mean, literally, I listened to a pastor preach about his last summer. You'd know him if I said him, a friend, mutual friend of ours. And he talked about what how shepherds right now dress. They carry assault rifles, okay? Like this is these aren't these aren't effeminate men, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> right. Okay, like they're tough guys. And they're and they're always watching for the wolf because they know that their flock looks tasty. I really like the I, I like the way you're you're articulating that because shepherds are always on guard protecting their flock. And this is the example we see in scripture. We see when Paul has a disagreement with the Judaizers, what does he do? He doesn't write an article. He doesn't he does write letters, but he doesn't write a doctorate and submit it for them to review. He goes and confronts them. He calls them out on it. Same when when Peter confronts everybody after Pentecost, he stands up and confronts them. You did this. You did this. And Absolutely. shepherds are being on the front lines. They're they're not passive. They're not reactionary. They're proactive. They're they're protecting their their sheep by moving their sheep, protecting their flock and defending against the wolves. I, I love the I love that language and I love that analogy. And I think we've really lost in our churches, particularly in Canada where before godliness is be nice, right? Like the idea of don't don't offend anybody. We've lost that idea particularly in our in our pulpits of being a shepherd. We've what we've done is we've 
is we've christened Trudopian niceness. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay, so we've taken Trudopian niceness and we've say that must be Christian. Right. And this is, and so Mike, what, what I'm trying to bring forth is the tactics that many employ to engage with people who literally are predators are not scriptural tactics, right. but they might think and they sincerely think that they are. Yeah. So it, there's a couple things I, that I thought were interesting. A couple passages of scripture kind of came to my mind when when uh, we knew we were going to talk about this. The first is is when Paul says goodbye to the Ephesian elders. Um, and he's in Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> it's interesting. He's, you know, he's got this big dramatic goodbye where there's embracing and hugging and kissing and weeping, all men, by the way, <laughs> doing these things. And, uh, and, and here he is. And then he says, I know, this is in verse 29 of chapter 20, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then he basically charges these elders that you know, it's now on you to oversee the the sheep. It's it's over. It's on you to oversee the flock and not to um, and not to allow these wolves to come in and tear them apart. And it's because he says then in verse thirty one. Therefore, be alert. And uh, and so he's saying, be alert for these wolves. And it's interesting. So the first thing that I noticed was that you know he says after my departure. So the question is, well, why why weren't the wolves there when he, when Paul was there? It was because he he beat them away, right? Like he was a good shepherd and he didn't let the, the, he did not let the fierce wolves um, among his flock. He told the Corinthians that he, he fought wild beasts at Ephesus. That's exactly right. And he was speaking of false teachers. It was exhausting for him and he, he battled them. Like he fought wild beasts. So yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I fear that when we look at Acts 20 or other passages like it, I fear we see wolf and we think Disneyland. Hmm. And, and that is, that is not what these men, these men were, these men predominantly from an, uh, some type of an agrarian society. And when they start talking about language of shepherd and wolf and sheep, it's, it's instant. There's, there's a, there's a, I guess you, <laughs> there's a binary. Okay. Like there is, evil and there is good right and you must defend good and you go right after the evil right and and i think one of the things that we've we've lost is that um you said it earlier where um you know maybe part of the uh heretic sensitive movement is this this desire that we're to win the wolves and i I, what I fail to see, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, what I fail to see in Scripture is any sort of admonishment, any sort of encouragement for um, for pastors to win wolves. It's it's beat back the wolves and care for the sheep, right? The, the wolves are there. To, now, that doesn't mean that in his sovereignty, God can't save wolves. But, but the wolves who are actively coming in, trying to um, prey on the sheep are not to be brought in and fed a potluck and shared the gospel and brought into our homes. We're, we're to not give them an audience. We're, we're to chase them out from, of the pasture. No, we're, we, we are to treat them as one who is attempting to ravish the bride of Christ. Right. And so we, and I think, you know, the, just like the seeker sensitive movement, and you say this in your blog post, kind of there, there might've been good intentions there, mm-hmm. right? That the intention is, you know, if we're, if we, you know, 
dumb down the Christianese and we, we preach half the amount of time and, and maybe we don't get too, too deep, then more people will be willing to listen. And if they're willing to listen, then maybe they'll hear the gospel. And maybe if they hear the gospel, they'll, they'll repent. And so mm-hmm. the desire might be sincere, but you say, well, the desire is sincere. This is from your blog post. It's also corrupt. The actions mm-hmm. aren't biblical. So God not only prescribes the ends, but he dis- prescribes the means. And so when, whenever we're dealing with a false teacher, no matter who that is, we have to use not only the ends of the Bible, but also the means of the Bible. And the Bible is saying, it's not your job to try to convert wolves. Your job is to beat back wolves and feed the sheep. Yeah, and maybe even by calling them a wolf and a snake and a false teacher and using the scriptural type of language and employing the scriptural tactics that were given to fight, maybe they will come to Christ. I mean, maybe that will afflict their consciences to the point where they cry out, Lord, have mercy on my soul. But but either way, when I preach the gospel, I'm an aroma of life unto life and death unto death. So it, it is my prerogative to present the truth and 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 that entails two things i think as a shepherd and one would be feeding the sheep okay and the other one would be fighting the wolves you've got one eye on the flock and you've got another eye on the field yeah that's right yeah so let me let me ask you guys both a question you both are you both are senior pastors um so one of the questions that we get when we talk when we talk about naming names and we talk about how to spot a false teacher versus somebody who's just a brother in error. I want you guys to, why don't you lay out for our listeners where you guys draw the line between somebody who like Apollos would just need to be taken aside and corrected because he's in Christ and somebody who is clearly a wolf pretending to be in Christ. How do you guys as pastors recognize that? Where would you draw the lines? Like what would be those, those battle lines, so to speak? It's a great question. Yeah, do you want to go first, Nate, or? All, all you, Jacob. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think I think if you're going to say uh, that someone is a wolf, I think you want to you want to be sure, right? Like you're not guessing and you're not throwing that terminology around. Yep. Um, but just because someone's not a wolf doesn't mean you don't confront them boldly either, right? Right. And 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 sometimes that is absolutely necessary. So Paul confronted, he tells us, he confronted Peter um, for fraternizing with the Judaizers at the expense of the Gentiles in Galatians, right? So there was false teachers. Paul, it, it appears that Peter was somehow being cold, perhaps, to the Gentiles and then warm to the Judaizers, okay? And, and Paul was very bold in his confrontation. And it seems Peter turned things around. But I think if somebody is, is striking at the heart of the gospel— and they are undermining the gospel message, then uh, you need to treat them as a wolf or if they're leading people into sin. And so one of the, one of the passages that you, all, you always go to is, okay, so what's at the heart of the gospel message, right? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, Okay. And so, I mean, if you want to take um, that and apply it to our present situation with Bruxy Cavey, I think you can see that um, he is denying penal substitutionary atonement, which clearly is what Paul means when he says, for our sins. Now, people will say, well, for our sins, maybe he doesn't mean that. Well, what does it mean? I mean, Christ died for our sins. If there is no propitiation, we don't have a just God and we don't have a gospel. And then further, I mean— 
I mean, Katie, and multiple, multiple, multiple times has um, undermined people's confidence in the actual scriptures, accordance to the scriptures, right? So they say enough. Here's the thing with wolves is they say enough to be appealing, right? Right. Like I've been preaching through the Beatitudes and and or the Sermon on the Mount, and like you look at the Pharisees, like they said enough to, yeah, yeah, you know, you have heard that it was said, um, you shall not murder. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course the Pharisees would agree. Yeah, don't murder, don't murder. Well, and Jesus said, but I say unto you, right? You, you you can't even hate people within your hearts or call them, um, you know, use these rash words against them. Uh, without thinking in anger. And the, or the, the next one would be, you've heard that it said you should not commit adultery. Well, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery within her heart. And so the problem is, is within that context, the Pharisees were, were going by the letter of the law, but they were not getting the character of God behind the law. So they were saying enough but to, to sound pretty good, but there wasn't, they didn't get the essence of God behind it. And the only thing, and the only thing I would add to that, so so Chris, to to answer your question about you know wh- when does and the example you use is a good one, Apollos, right? Apollos shows up, and he starts teaching uh, and arguing with the Jews, and uh, Priscilla and Aquila end up taking him aside, and it says teach him more accurately the way of Christ. Um, but even before the, it uses that term accurately, it says that he was able to teach accurately the things of Christ. And then they teach him how uh, essentially correct him so that he can teach more accurately. So the, there's there's always room for discipleship in terms of, of making theology more precise and, and, and things like that. But you know, how you know it crosses over is, so Jacob did a good job of kind of saying, how, how close to the heart of the gospel does it get? The other thing that I look at is just, is, is overall influence, right? Like, so Jesus talks about the parable of the talents and to, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so, you know, Apollos comes in and he's just kind of this one rogue guy who is eloquent enough and capable enough to catch some attention. And so Priscilla and Aquila see the gifts in him, pull him aside, disciple him a little bit, and he becomes even more useful for the kingdom of God. Um, he wasn't coming in as an authority. He wasn't coming in claiming to be a teacher who was leading people in a particular direction. He was coming in and kind of sharing his convictions. What you get with a guy like Bruxy Cavey is, is the biggest following of any pastor in southwestern Ontario, and so of whom you know much is you know much is to whom much is given, much is expected, and so the idea here is that the 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 greater your audience is, the more you'll be take held accountable for what God has given to you, and so when I look at a guy like Bruxy Cavey. Um, I look at um, his reach, his influence, and you know I take seriously that uh, that passage in James where it says not many of you should be teachers because teachers would be judged more uh, harshly. I, I look at that and I think you know there's there's you know there's that that sinful part of me that says you know God don't grow my church anymore like I got, I got enough you know I don't I don't want to be I'm gonna yeah. you know Hebrews 13 I'm gonna stand before God and give an account for these people for every single one of them yeah. exactly and so you look at a, a guy who is claiming to be an authority claiming to teach claiming to um, be helping people get closer to God um, that per, uh, that person is held to a greater account than just your average person. And so we might not call everybody who has improper doctrine a, a false teacher or a no, wolf, no. But, the per, but the person who is, is teaching thousands of people that penal substitutionary atonement is not the correct view of the gospel, 
um, yeah. that, that, that person I'm, I'm going to take to task. So, so here's what I want to do. There's a great article and, and kind of what, what, uh, what precipitated uh, us bringing Jacob back on to talk about this was a blog post by Paul Carter, as I said, called Seeking Clarity with Bruxy Cavey. And I just want to go, I want to rewind a little bit. Uh, Wyatt Graham, who's also a writer with the Gospel Coalition, did a wonderful blog post um, in July called How to Spot a False Teacher. And I think he has a great... Um, I think he has a great uh, definition of what a false teacher is. He says, a false teacher confesses false doctrine and harms others, yet knows how to hide him or herself well. So it's interesting there, right? So it's a false teacher confesses a false doctrine Mm -hmm. and harms others, essentially by teaching them that false doctrine, and yet knows how to hide him or herself well. And so I want to come back to that definition because what I see um, in this article with uh, Paul Carter asking Bruxy Cavey some questions is I see a guy who knows how to hide himself well. I see, I see Bruxy Cavey um, answering questions in just a vague enough way um, that it, you know, just an accurate enough way that some of the reformed red flaggers are, are coming down, but just vague enough that his people won't accuse him of backpedaling. Um, and you know, it, it, it reminds me of, uh, that passage in second Corinthians 11, where it says, you know, uh, that basically false, uh, false apostles, or I think, or false prophets, I can't remember what the text says, disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So there is this idea that a false teacher knows how to disguise him or herself. And I think what Bruxy Cavey is doing here, I mean, what I would have liked to see in this article is a kind of uh, maybe pushing a little bit and not just what do you think about inerrancy, but then asking the question, so how does what you just answered about inerrancy jive with all the all these quotes and all these clips and all these things that you've said before? What I, what I didn't see in Paul Carter's um, examination of Bruxy Cavey was any sort of acknowledgement by either of them about what Bruxy has said prior to this interview. Yeah. And I think, so, I mean, I know you want to be fair to gospel coalition and Paul Carter in this too. And I do, cause they're, they're brothers. Yep. Um, and good men. Right? Yeah. And yes, they are good men. And I think, I th- and they're, they're going to ask us and they have asked us on their blog to wait, cause this is going to come out in a series, right? So to see where this goes. Yep. And so we want to do that and hope for the best in love. At the same time, they are releasing these one by one. Right. And yeah. so people are reading them one by one. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe they're going to come out later. But I think right now this is I I think it, as highly as I think of these brothers, I think this is confusing things. Yeah. Um, because you 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 have to read what Broxy KV says on that blog in light of everything else he said. OK. And I haven't listened to everything else he said, but I have in front of me eight pages, single spaced of terrible things he said just about scripture. And then on top of that, probably about six or seven pages, single space of terrible things he said about penal substitutionary atonement. On top of that, fudging on Nicene Orthodoxy and the immutability of God, at least in his language, okay? And so you have to read what Paul Carter has said there in light of all this other stuff. And I think that's the problem. That is a a massive problem. And one of the things that I've noticed um, Eric would tell you the same, and Eric's listened to way more of Katie's stuff than I have, um, but we've both picked up on this, is that 
he's, he says one thing and then he says the other thing and they look like they contradict. And it's, it's a completely irresponsible use of words. Hmm. Right. And so one of the things that, that, that Carter has done, Paul Carter has done in this, and he seems to be emphasizing is he's like, well, you know, we've just got to make sure that KV isn't just using different language than us and saying the same thing. Okay. So Paul Carter says something to that effect within the article. And that's definitely his heart behind it. Right. You don't want KV to be speaking in a different language, but really mean the same thing. There's two problems with that. Okay. The one problem is, is that Bruxy KV by his own admission in a blog that he published within the last couple of months says that he was of a reform persuasion and and then in a podcast he did, he was a fellowship Baptist pastor here in Canada, which is a conservative Bible-believing group of Baptists, okay? Right. And, and, and then admits that he moved theologically, okay? So it's not like this guy grew up drinking the water that he's, he's, he's shooting out here, okay? Like this isn't, this isn't his native tongue. Right. Okay, so he's moved from clarity to lack of clarity – Absolutely. But I'd say he's moved from perhaps orthodoxy, definitely being with orthodox company to spewing complete unorthodoxy. So that's that's one thing um, that you need to keep in mind as you as you deal with this uh, entire thing. And I, I, I just I find that very difficult. And the other thing is I said there'd be two. The other thing is, is look, he's a smart guy. OK, he's read a lot of books and he knows what he's saying and he speaks English. Okay. Like you can't walk in. Let's just take this logic to the, the extreme. Okay. So you take the logic of this situation and you take it and put it in another situation. Let's say I walk into a crowded theater and yell fire and everyone runs out and the policeman, you know, I get charged and I go before the judge and the judge says, you yelled fire. That's illegal in the crowded theater. There was no fire. I say, well, yeah, but I really meant water. You really should try and figure out what I'm trying to mean. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. You can't do that, and yeah. you you can't do that in a crowded theater. But you can't do that when you when you're dealing with souls that are in the balance. Yeah, and that's the problem here. Like this isn't a game, and I and I I'm not saying Paul Carter thinks it's a game. Okay, I do not believe he thinks that. But we have to be so careful in how this stuff is presented because there's a whole host of people that are believing this garbage. Right. And I think that um, you know. The, the the whole using different language argument. I mean, we've we've we could probably make a list right now off the top of our heads of a, a whole lot of people that most of our listeners would would uh, describe as false teachers who have used those similar arguments to kind of disguise heresy um, behind. Well, we use different language, but the the problem with that is not only like you said, language has a meaning, but. Um, as teachers of the, of the word of God, we ought to, we ought to hold language in a higher regard than anyone else because, because God chose to reveal himself through a written word, meaning that words are important and what they mean are important. And, and so we can't, we can't, um, take words that have been a part of the Christian faith for thousands of years and either dismiss them because we don't like them or reinvent them um, 
to, to suit our fancy. Like the, the, we, we above all people should be the ones that are fighting for, um, the clarity and the purity of language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, a lot of these terms like inerrancy and, and so on, you're, you know, they're just, all they're doing is they're saying what the Bible already says. And Jesus says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. Well, what is truth? Does truth have any error in it? No, it doesn't have any error in it. Right. Right. So, and then, but then for KV to go on and make some of these outlandish statements that he has made about scripture is completely inconsistent with script, with what scripture actually says. He'll, and, and this is something that I think he, he did in this little interview is, is he, is he made it again? This is what he does is he makes it about, well, you, I just won't say a word. And that's why these good people are getting mad at me. Is I won't say inerrancy. And in, in, in one place, he actually um, said, he said, we, it's theological comfort food for us. And the reason we're getting irked by this is, is because he, we, we won't, he, he won't say this word, but it's not, I mean, sure that we have to be concerned when he won't say the word, but there's way more to it. Like, they consider this quote um, of his, if you've been taught the inerrancy of scripture, scriptures that you can't make a mistake, it does become a big problem. It's a house of cards. It begins to fall down, right? I mean, right. He, he, he's attacking the concept in these statements that he's made. And we could go on, Nate, and I mean, I, I should send you the document that I have here, really, of how many actual quotes are. It would have been very helpful if these were dealt with in the article that, Paul Carter did. Maybe he will later on. I hope he does. But uh, there's certainly a host of other things that are being said. Yeah. The the problem with, uh, and, and you hear this a lot, I, I actually just had a conversation um, about this recently, um, that whole idea that, you know, our, my, you know, somebody will kind of arrogantly say my faith isn't, isn't a house of cards. So if I take one card away, you know, the whole thing doesn't fall down. And so, you know, and I remember Rob Bell, actually, interestingly enough, Rob Bell making a similar argument in his, in one of his first books, Velvet Jesus or Velvet Elvis, sorry. And, uh, and he basically says the same sort of thing, but the example that he uses was virgin birth, right? And he talked about how there are some Christians who believe that the word virgin, uh, describing Mary simply means a young woman. And do you have to believe in the miraculous birth of Jesus and, and the virgin virginity of Mary in order to believe the gospel? And, and he asks that question and, 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 and kind of On the surface, there's a lot of undiscerning Christians who will read that and say, oh, yeah, like, I don't want my faith to be a house of cards. That's right. It should be a firmer foundation than that. But the problem is, is that we we fail to see the interconnectedness of all these various doctrines. So even on that that exact um, example that he that rob bell uses well if you don't believe in the virgin birth then uh you 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 have no way of getting around this this idea that jesus would have been born with original sin he couldn't die a sinless or a sinless sacrifice um the the virgin birth the 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 birth or the the parenthood of both uh heavenly father and earthly mary is uh what what allows him to be both fully man and fully god so there there are gospel implications in these things and this is the problem with bruxy is is that he'll say things that sound good to undiscerning ears. Oh, you know, my, my faith isn't a house of cards. And we would all say, oh, I don't want my, my faith to be a house of cards. But we, we fail to see the interconnectedness in all these various doctrines. And this is the problem. When you give somebody who's going to be coy with his words, intentionally vague with his words, 
And, and how else do you gain a following of that size without being vague enough to allow different people of different perspectives to come together? And, and so, and so, you know, you allow him to be coy with his words. And I think that's, that's part of the problem with an interview like this is he is so good with his words. He can say things in just, just a way that kind of irk enough people. And if we're not discerning, we won't see through any of it because as you know, White Graham says that uh, a false teacher is somebody who knows how to hide him or herself. Well, they're skilled at it. And I think it's so important for us to, to acknowledge the fact that Paul Carter's article is, at least the interview section is about 1900 words, I think. Yep. Like that's, that's not a lot. And, and if you really want to get to the heart of what this man is teaching, you need to take, you need to spend hours listening to him. You need to source the quotes, which we've done. Okay. And then you need like a three hour discussion, right? Like this is not a good taste of, of his teaching. And, and one of the things with false teachers is, is you said, and I think you, I think you quoted the, the scripture verse, but um, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, and right. that's Second Corinthians, eleven fourteen, or, or Psalm fifty five twenty one. Like the enemies of God, their speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. And right. I mean, I mean, he, Paul Carter has given Bruxy props in a, in a previous article for his tone. And I mean, you know, you, you want to operate within the bibl- biblical tonality, right? But at the same time, you ought to expect false teachers to have know how to do that in a way that's very appealing to people. Right. 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 Yeah. I think, um, and, and so here's, here's kind of where I want to land with this conversation. Um, I, I want First of all, I want our listeners, because you know we might not be the pastors of all the people who are listening to this podcast, but there is a certain level of responsibility, I feel, for our, our listeners. And so I just want to say, be careful with Bruxy Cavey. I think, I think and I would, I would commend a particular um, a blog post of Jacob's to you. I think it's actually just called, Yes, Bruxy Cavey is a False Teacher. Um, and, yeah, and I no, think... That- yeah, and I, I think that's a great. Wyatt Graham's, I employed Wyatt Graham's um, criteria to draw my conclusion in that. So I found Wyatt's um, blog very helpful, and then Tim Challey's linked to it within the next day or two, and um, and so yeah, I think that one very clearly lays out the process that I've walked through. Like I'm not I'm not Johnny come lately and showing up just hearing a few things. Like we've. I've been talking about this for probably five or six years. Yeah. And I know that I've listened to so much and Eric Schneider, who's heads of the blog, and I would commend Eric's blog also because there's so many good resources on that. And um, he, he writes his own blog. It's on our church website, but he's, he's sought to get our approval um, for so many things that he's written. He's asked for input from the leadership of our church. Like I stand firmly behind him. And um, I think he's, his tone's appropriate. He interacts with things honestly. He feels the weight of representing Bruxy Cavey properly. And, uh, and so he, he, he really thinks this stuff through. And, I, and so I would commend both those. And in fact, my blog, Bruxy, Yes, Bruxy Cavey is a False Teacher, I believe I linked to Eric's blog on that if you're looking for it. Yeah. Yeah, you do. And we'll put all of these blogs that we're talking about in the show notes in case anybody is coming late to this conversation. We want them to have all the resources at their disposal. 
I, I really like the fact that you're, you're pointing that out because I think one of the, the pushbacks we've gotten when we did the first Bruxy KV um, podcast was that it seemed like we were just coming at it like here, here we read some quotes and we're attacking them based on the quotes without people realizing, like you said, Jacob, you've done the research. You spent years reading, researching, listening to this guy. This is just the 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 fruit of that, so to speak. This is just the uh, the conclusions that have been drawn after all of the the footwork and legwork is is gone into it. So I, I really like that. So for our no, listeners and people, oh sorry. No, I was going to say, Pudi, and I appreciate you saying that. Like people used to come to me and say Bruxy Cavey's a heretic, and I would say, no, like you can't say that stuff. You can't say that stuff unless you know for sure. Like like say he's confused, say he's a little off, but don't say he's a heretic. But then the more I started to listen, and then I'm like, whoa, they got a point. And then finally, I mean, I watched the conversation between him and the open theist, Greg Boyd, and I'm like, yeah, he's a heretic. Yeah. After listening to so much of this stuff, and then that one was like, that put me over the edge. And uh, as far as my conclusions go, and that one, I, I record that in, yes, Bruxy KV is a false teacher. Yeah, and I, I love that because it, like... I, I love the legwork and I want our listeners and everybody who reads your blog or, or hears our podcasts to be doing that kind of work themselves. Don't jump to the conclusion right away. Go back and, and know the word of God first and foremost. Understand what is sound doctrine and what isn't sound doctrine and then judge what people are saying based on sound doctrine before we jump to the conclusion. And then once you get to that conclusion, feel free to call it out. You know what I mean? And I think, I think, we, we made the comment off air that we're, we live in a headline society, but as Christians, I don't think we should be headline people. We should be no. reading the substance and then coming to a conclusion, be slow to slow to speak, quick to learn, right? To quick to understand, understand the situation before we, we come out and speak. And I think, I think part of the, this discussion about Bruxy KV, it feels like we're just naming a name willy nilly when no, we've, no. we've researched this. This is something that we're coming to with, reasons behind right and we can say this about other people which we don't have to name them here but there's other people like this as well yeah, yeah and there and before we i started to really come out as strong as i did and employ this language like i i ran my notes by seminary professors and other pastors and said and and they're you know what i mean like it's not this isn't this isn't one guy i mean we've we've thought through this we've talked about it we've hashed it out and and you have you you start to analyze the data. You have to draw this conclusion. Yeah. And and so what we want is we want our people to <clears throat> start. Um, I, and we know even in our church we have uh, church members who have family members who attend Bruxy KV's church and um, and all that kind of stuff. So so we want our listeners to be aware of how dangerous we think um, this particular uh, false teacher is. Um, and ultimately, and here's the thing, I, I imagine that, that at some point Bruxy will listen to this because he listened to the last one and reached out to us. And, and I get that it's hard to come on and, and talk about something when you've already been labeled a false teacher. Um, but, but here's my, here's my um, speaking directly to Bruxy now and, and to our people who, who might be listening to this. What, ultimately, what we want is I, I don't want more rhetoric. I don't want to talk through and talk about the differences in language. I think that there, there have been enough harmful things said and enough um, brought out that, that what really needs to happen here is, is repentance. And, and, and this is my biggest problem with what I'm Amen. seeing in the, um, in the blog that Paul Carter is doing where he's seeking to dialogue with Bruxy Cavey. 
is everything that Bruxy is saying is, well, you know, that comes down to a language disagreement and this comes down to that and that comes down to that. I see absolutely no shred of humility, no shred of um, repentance, no shred of remorse for anything. And and you know what? Even if, even if he sticks by his doctrines and, and sticks by his denial of penal substitutionary atonement, um, like even just an acknowledgement of, you know, maybe, maybe perhaps I've been sloppy with some of my language, perhaps Perhaps when I said that, I should have thought that through, or, or that thing that I said five years ago, I actually don't hold to that anymore, and I'm sorry that I said it, and it's, you know, that's something that I need to repent of, but there's, there's just none of that. And so, and, and so, and it might seem weird for a guy who's calling out a false teacher to say that there's no humility there. I, I, I want our listeners to understand that it, it is, it is with a heavy burden that we say these things because um, we, we understand the, the gravity of what we're talking about. We're talking about souls. We're talking about like Hebrews 13. Um, we who are pastors are going to stand before God and give an account for the souls of those people that we shepherded rightly or wrongly. And so at the, end of the, at the end of the day, we believe strongly enough about this to say hard things, to get hate mail, to, to seem unloving, um, to, to be intolerant in a, in a tolerant, virtuous uh, society, simply because we think that Bruxy Cavey is damaging souls. Yes. And, and so that, that's why we're saying what we're saying. Amen. A hundred percent. Amen, Nate. And I am. I stand with you. If Bruxy Cavey is listening to this, I hope he does. You, Bruxy Cavey, need to repent. You need to get on your face before God. Judgment is nigh. The Lord is standing at the door. He will have mercy to you. He is pleading with you to come. But you have deceived people, and that is wicked in the sight of the Lord. And you need to repent, sir. Yeah. So, um, so you know, I I want to kind of leave uh, leave people with uh, with a little bit of of hope at the end of this, and and the reason uh, I want to do that is because you know it is it it is um, it, it's painful for me to think about you know this about Bruxy Cavey being the most influential most most you know, listen to pastor in Southwestern Ontario. And these are the sorts of things that he's teaching. And so I, I, we just want to say that, you know, um, the, the word of God is um, uh, powerful. It is potent. Um, God has made promises about uh, saving every single person who's he, who he has elected since the foundation of the world. And so um, no matter how slick or popular or influential a false teacher seems, um, God in his sovereignty, he's got it all under control. <laughs> and Amen. so and so, Amen. we need to be faithful and we Amen. need to call a wolf a wolf, call a sheep a sheep, feed the sheep, fight the wolves, and let God's sovereignty sort out what his plans and purposes for this world are. Amen. We're just, we're part of a big story. And uh, this, is, this is part of the excitement of it, I think. Amen, amen. Um, anything that you want to, uh, to say just before we sign off here, Jacob, that maybe we didn't get to uh, when we were uh, outlining this conversation? I think um, one of the things that's gone on is people have made this a Calvinist issue, like we're Calvinist. And so, but this is not only a Calvinist issue. I mean, Dr. Rich Davis in the Tyndale philosophy department, uh, he's not a Calvinist as far as I know. Um, but he has written some excellent blogs as a philosopher refuting uh, the errors of Bruxy Cavey. Hmm. And I think that's worth checking out. I've really appreciated Dr. Davis's work. And I know a lot of other people have, and spe specifically coming from one 
um, who, as far as best as I can tell, is not a Calvinist. I mean, it's just, it's wonderful to see brothers and sisters, um, especially brothers in this case, linking arms to deal with what I believe is the most significant theological uh, controversy we've faced in Ontario in probably decades. I hope that our, our criticism of the Gospel Coalition's blog, particularly Paul Carter's, I mean, we've been very complimentary of Wyatt Graham's, but I think of Paul's most recent one, we'll be, like we're saying this is brothers, we're it's out there in the public, and I'm sure Paul would acknowledge once things are out in the public, it's a discussion. So we love these guys. They are our brothers. I feel like we're not, I don't, I don't want to be adversarial with them. No. Nope. But I, I think this, I don't, I don't think their rep- approach, at least on this first one is helpful. We'll see what happens, you know, we'll see what happens. There's a few more coming. Yeah. And, and you know what, and, and I would just, I would also just say this as maybe, um, you know, a lot of our listeners are gospel coalition guys in a lot of ways, the gospel coalition together for the gospel Ligonier ministries. Like there's so many of these kind of, um, online ministries that have been really good at rallying reformed Christians together. And so for that, I'm very thankful and I'm very thankful to see that the gospel coalition Canada is gaining some traction. Um, but I would just say just kind of as a, as a word of caution, like you said, I, I love Paul Carter. We both know him personally. Um, I reached out to him prior to this uh, this episode so that he knew that we were doing this. Um, but I would just say kind of as a, as a kind of word of warning to uh, the Gospel Coalition Canada and its supporters that we, we want to make sure that this thing is done well. And so, you know, we want to rally people um, uh, to the gospel in the right way. And I think that the right way is not to make compromises with wolves. Um, I think that the right way is not to be soft in how we confront the culture. And so uh, with, with how young the Gospel Coalition Canada is, it would be my hope and my prayer um, that, we, that we don't meander and we don't compromise here in Canada, but that uh, the Gospel Coalition Canada um, takes a strong stand against heresy from its early days. Yeah, exactly. Jared Wilson says what you win them with is what you win them to, right? So we want to make sure we're winning people to sound doctrine, yeah. not niceness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said, Nate and Pudi. Very well said. All righty. Well, thanks so much for being on here with us. Um, like I said, we're going to uh, link to all of the uh, the blog posts uh, that we talked about. So they'll be in the show notes at the time this drops. But uh, if you want to follow Jacob's blog um, or uh, listen to any of his sermons, uh, check him out. Uh, you can check him out at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Uh, that's their church website. That's where he blogs. That's where they post his weekly sermons. And uh, and we're just thankful for you, Jacob. We're, uh, we're we're thankful that uh, there's a pastor down the road who's being faithful, who's uh, who's willing to take some bullets out front and uh, and to uh, uh, be faithful to God's word. So thank you. Hey, you're very welcome, and I really appreciate being able to do this together. Yeah, absolutely. So glad you guys are just down the road for sure. Amen. All right. Well, uh, well, thanks for joining us. I imagine that there's a lot of things that you might want to reach out to us about concerning this episode. Please drop us a line. Uh, share this episode out. Uh, if you have friends, if you have family members who are caught up in the teaching of Bruxy Cavey, send them this episode. Send them uh, Jacob's blog post. Send them Eric's blog post. Um, and uh, and 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 don't just be a, a bystander. Um, you know, get get into this and be part of the solution here in southwestern Ontario. Mm-hmm.